Welcome back, Giants fans, to the latest edition of the Big Blue UK and Ireland podcast. This week we are 67% British, 33% Irish, but still absolutely 100% Giants. Shane's at the Hawthorns tonight watching his beloved Albion, so it's Dan, Kev and producer Craig with you to begin our defensive breakdown by looking through our D-line and linebackers. Guys, how are you doing? Yeah, good. I'm just uh, glad to be back. It, felt, it feels like a long time since we've sat down and got to talk Giants football as we boys. Yeah, it has been, hasn't it? But it's been an interesting week and uh, there's a lot going on and we, we kick off this uh, this week as well with a little cheeky bit of football. So, roll on. Yeah, man, we do. This uh, this past Friday we saw the annual Hall of Fame game take place in Canton. Roll on uh, week one of pre-season against the Patriots coming up on Thursday. A few days away from getting Giants football back on our screens. It's uh, something definitely to look forward to. Um, so yeah, we take on Bill Belichick and his Patriots on uh, Thursday night, giving us our first look at Coach Dable, our new coordinators, and hopefully some of our new additions we've made this season as well. Obviously, will you, will you guys be watching, or what are you look what are you looking forward to seeing? Yeah, I mean, um, like the whole thing game the other night, uh, you know, I wasn't able to watch the game, but I probably wouldn't have watched it anyway. I think the preseason games, although in season I might watch the big games when the Giants aren't on, um, but I think for preseason games I'll only watch the Giants. To be honest. Um, I'm actually really looking forward to it. I know people don't really like the preseason games. I quite like the fact that it has gone from the four down to three. Because um, these games really are, I know we kind of touched on it last year as well. This is all about just getting repetitions. This is all about getting the feel for the new offense, feel for the new defense, the feel for the offensive line, working to the guy next to them, building up that uh, camaraderie, building up that sort of like uh, familiarity with each other. <clears throat> so the score app really, really means nothing. You still want to go out there and give a good showing of yourselves. And I have a sneaky suspicion we might see a lot of uh, starters in this first game, to be honest. Coach come out and said that he, um, he expects most of the starters to play in the first game. Obviously, it doesn't, he hasn't, hasn't said how much they'll play, but that means obviously Jones, Barkley, and you know a lot of the ones are going to get some playing time, especially with the new offense, the new defense. Um, they're going to need time on the field to to put that into practice anyway. So it'd be good to see the the new offense, the new defense, how we look, how it looks, and see some of the new guys we've brought in as well. See the rookies in you know with jerseys on on the field and see what they can do. I'm looking forward to seeing what Thibodeau can do. I'm looking forward to seeing what Evan Neal can do. And just a lot of the you know there's obviously one of the rookies went down injured this week, Marcus McEffin, which you know we don't wish upon anyone. But the rest of the rookies, I'm looking forward to seeing. That's for sure. It'll be interesting to see if Mac Jones plays, and if he does, I feel sorry for him because Thibodeau is itching for a sack. You can see it during training camp. He is everywhere. He's in the backfield constantly. And yeah, I I really feel for Mac Jones if he starts because I've got a feeling that Thibodeau might have a cheeky preseason feast. Yeah, definitely. I mean, he's looked very, very good in all of the, the preseasons, especially this week with pads on. Like, like you were saying, he's been in the backfield constantly, and there's a real good chance as well for um, our. DBs um, to see where we stand there. So I know a lot of people think we're very, we are very thin at the cornerback, especially. So we're interested to see how Aaron Robinson is is, uh, is is coming along as a starting outside cornerback. Darnay Holmes has been having a great uh, preseason as well. Like every time there's been a practice, he's, I, I swear I've read that he's made a pick or something or a pass breakup or fumble. Yeah, it's just sort of, it's that first glimpse of what we're going to be potentially looking like on both sides of the ball. Both new coordinators and obviously new head coach, you know, showing their hand for the first time, you know, showing some of the playbook for the first time. I'm just looking forward to seeing, really, just looking forward to seeing Giants football. I don't care how, what the score is. I just want to see us be competitive, and I want to see, you know, some 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 good plays in there. I want to see some big plays in there. You know, obviously the Patriots have made a lot of moves in the off season as well. Um, so it'd be interesting to see, you know, different matchups across the field, and you know. Any game against the Patriots is always a, a relatively decent game, even if it's preseason week one as well. Like, do you think we should go out there and like game plan to try and beat the opposition in front of us? Like, go out and see what the Patriots are doing, and then try and beat them, or should we not really worry about the opposition and just kind of try and install our sort of the, our defense and our offense, and just kind of worry about us executing as opposed to all right, the Patriots are doing this, so like let's try and counter that. That's a good question. You know, I think. I'd rather see, I'd rather focus on what we are doing and on what, how our, the you know our team how how the Giants are playing on the field rather than trying to counter necessarily what the Patriots are doing. But at the same time, you don't want them to just walk all over us and you know have a field day. You want to you want to be able to see the opposite side of it as well and and play well against them. 
against their schemes and against what they're doing. I think the number one priority is is to get our playbook and get our you know our side of things set and and ready to go. But at the same time, you've got to be able to counter what the other team is doing. So number one priority is is focus on us. I think. It's week one, isn't it? So the fundamentals are going to be pretty much what the most important thing is anyway, regardless of the result. I don't think anybody's going to read into the result. And if this happens to be a, a good season and we go deep, it's not going to mean a lot. As long as we come away with it with minimal injuries and some kind of you know fluency to the play, I think most Giants fans will probably be quite happy with that. Yeah, we'll be interested in seeing uh, Pep in a Patriots jersey. Hmm. Not looking forward to that. Yeah, like I said, Marcus McEthan went down with a torn ACL this week and obviously he's now on injured reserve for the season. Shame for him, gutted for him, because obviously as a a rookie, you know, a fifth-round pick. Looking forward to seeing him on the field, but it's not to be for his rookie year, so he's going to spend the year on on IR. Our offensive line's looking a little bit thin with uh, Matt Goner going on the exempt and left squad list as well. It came out earlier, well, sort of mid of last week that... His neck injury is potentially career-ending, so not looking good for him. Yeah, so I think it's pretty much nailed on that um, he will be that will be a career-ending injury now, I believe, which is a shame for him. Yeah, obviously he had sur- he was out all of last year. He had surgery on the neck, and it was looking like potentially it, the surgery had gone well, and then symptoms started showing up last week during camp when they uh, had helmets on and put pads on, and yeah, it looks like it's it's he's. He's done now. It looks like his uh, his career's over, so it's a shame for him. Um, but we have brought in Will Holden, who spent last year of Detroit uh, to fill the gap that um, he's left. And creating room on the roster for him was uh, Nico Lelos being waived. Defensive and Nico Lelos being waived. But how much is it? How much of a blow is it to lose to lose these two guys in the offensive line before before preseason's even started? Let alone the, the regular season. Gono is uh, everybody's start for us, especially when we got Evan Neal in. He, I believe from from what I was reading, everything he was actually going to be a solid swing tackle. You know, still competition for places and stuff. And McGettin, such a shame. I, I, it's his it's his season ending. His his injury. Yeah, it's an ACL. Like obviously he's going to be around. The, you know, got him a four year contract. Obviously his rookie contract. He's going to be around the team getting mental reps. But he was one that was a big mauling sort of right guard that that really like you know. I believe that they were looking to develop behind Lewinsky and, you know, they, they saw a good future for him. Now, not to say that, you know, he can't come back. It sort of, like, hinders that a little bit. And, I mean, I'm just glad it's not the starters at the moment, touch wood. I mean, it's just next man up mentality, isn't it? I mean, um, you know, you, you, you drafted people, you bring in free agents, and uh, it's next man up mentality. Yeah, definitely. And I think it gives Josh Azudu chance to uh, to shine as well. Yeah, I mean, there's going to be a gap at the the swing tackle position with with Gono's going to going to retire potentially, and I think Azudu's pretty much going to step into that role. I know he's been stepping into that that role in training camp, and he's he's done some work with the ones, though predominantly still working with the twos. So I think that makes sense for everyone. Yeah, just to touch on the offensive line as well quickly. Uh, th- this week, I know uh, Feliciano's he, he had a few days off with dehydration and stuff, and just sort of like. More management than anything than anything actually wrong, but they did keep over Shane Lemieux, who has been looking quite solid, very solid at left guard, and it's pretty much his position now um, to lose. I believe I think he's come on leaps and bounds uh, from what I'm reading and seeing, uh, but they've moved him into the centre position, and Azuzu came in on the on the left guard, and um, again from some of the, the feedback from some of the beat writers and stuff and the people at the Open Fan Fest and the Open Practices. Like that, that starting five line, uh, five offensive linemen actually look really solid, and then moving um, the line of scrimmage and the run game, and it actually, you no, know, it's something to, to maybe look forward to down the line. Yeah, actually making holes, actually making holes in the in, in the defensive lines for the uh, for the running backs to run through. So it's it's quite nice to see. I thought. So this week we're going to going to continue our roster breakdown after finishing off the offense last week. We're going to start to look at our defense, starting off with the big guys up front, our defensive line. Starting off with defensive tackles, in fact, um, the two big names of big cap, you know, the big cap, Leonard Williams and Dexter Lawrence stand out, and the rest are made up of new additions and rookies as well. So we've got Nick Williams, Justin Ellis, DJ Davidson, obviously the fifth round pick. Uh, David Moa and Chris Hinton, who's an undrafted free agent. The front three, I mean, 
I'm sure you'll probably agree is going to be Big Cat, Dexter Lawrence, and Nick Williams, right? And the rest five, you know, sort of being the number twos behind them. Yeah, I mean, um, so obviously the pads have just gone on this week. Um, so we've had only a handful of padded practices. So because of that, it's been more passing, more third and long type of situations from the offense. So we haven't really seen a base defense too much. We haven't really seen the three, four base. We kind of see four, two or two, four, whatever way uh, you um, sort of designate. And so we've been seeing Dexter Lawrence as the big nose tackle. And previous regimes, um, he wasn't, he was like a defensive end, but he's he's a big boy and he's been like getting some, uh, some push. I mean, Leonard Williams just looked an absolute beast in, these, in, this, um, in, in all these camps and stuff. He just, he just, he looks like a player that he, he is like one of our better players. As for starter, I, I think we'll play um, nickel packaging a lot more. We'll play sub packages a lot more this season. So I can't really sort of like say who the, who the starting front three would be. Big Cat's been making waves at camp as as he always does. He's um you know he's a, a man mountain, and uh, has pretty much been dominating a lot of the offensive one on one drills. Sexy Dexy is going to do what Sexy Dexy does. He actually had a really good interview the other day where they were asking him about the goals for the team and he said that the, the collective goal that everyone seems to agree on is that we can become a playoff team. And I think that speaks volumes in the fact that he has quite a lot of confidence in this defensive front because we know that the offence so far in training camp has struggled and I think that that might have something more to do with the fact that from a defensive point of view we're actually really really solid and that Wink's schemes are causing the issues that we might find that against the Patriots in preseason, the, the offense does better. Yeah, definitely. I mean, if you're looking at a, uh, just say like a four-man front of Sexy, Dexy, uh, Big Cat, Kayvon, and Ojolari, I mean, potential. You'd nearly put them up with any front line in, in, in the league. Yeah, easily. Like I'm just those those four names on that field. Are, you know, opposite the quarterback, just just excites you, doesn't it? Yeah, definitely. I mean, like those will be the those will be the the, the, the rocks of the front seven. Um, I mean, if you go to like a, a three four base front, you know you're going to rotate lots of people in there with with uh, with those guys. But with Wink's system, it's going to be it's going to be fun. It is definitely going to be fun. It's let's let's let's. I'm going to send the house. Uh, we're going to make sure you're a quarterback. It's so uncomfortable. And I think the interior of our uh, defensive line is a real strength. Yeah. Like I'm like, like I say, wink, wink system is just it's 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 exciting, it's fun, it's it's just all out defense, and it's it's defense you want to see. You know the the defense we've seen the last few years under under Joe Judge and under the coaches previous to that haven't been the best. You know we've had our defense has been better than our offense on on in most seasons, but this defense looks good, and the fact is under a new defensive coordinator who's got a hell of a lot of experience and his you know his scheme his setup is is exciting and the fact that he's come from the Ravens whose defense was always their number one unit it, it speaks volumes and I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what these defensive guys can do I mean and also picking up uh, Dexter's fifth year options have not been there isn't it yeah for sure like he was he's been one of our most consistent D linemen and you know he's gonna only he's only gonna continue to being being consistent. You know can he can he be great? Hopefully, um, you know he's he's been was he made the all rookie team in twenty nineteen. Um, let's hope you know hopefully he can he can make that step up and be that dominant force on the on on the line that you know he's got the potential to be. Well, that's it. He he doesn't do the sexy the sexy work like he doesn't get the pass rush he you know he takes up blockers he takes up he he occupies blockers allowing williams and the Gilarian players like that to be able to get free and um get one-on-one matchups to try and get after the quarterback do you think uh do you think the big cat's going to pick up where he left off last season and just be that constant force i think so i don't think there's anything that points in any other direction uh if there's been one consistency with the giants it's the fact that Despite the trepidation from the fans when the trade was first made, when Leonard Williams came across, I think he's more than performed to the ability that we hoped he could have. 
and the, the ability that you showed early on in his career. And I, I think we're lucky to have him. His first couple of seasons was wasted. It's like you have such a good player, but everything else around it just wasn't clicking and we just weren't um, going in the direction we wanted to go. But us moving in the right direction now, which I believe in, which I, I think God's believe as well, um, having him in his prime next to Dexter Lawrence, I think, like I said, it's a scary proposition. Yeah, also we've got um, so Nick Williams who was signed just before camp. Um, he started all 17 games to the Lions last year. And Justin Ellis, uh, he was drafted by the Raiders in 2014. And he's sort of been that rotational tackle, but never played in more than 45% of the a team's snaps in any season. Um, what do you make of those two additions to the squad? Yeah, I mean, uh, Justin Ellis was an exciting player uh, coming into the league. But again, um, Ellis is more, yeah, that nose tackle, plugger, sort of uh, just a very good backup to, to Dexter Lawrence, I think. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's the veteran presence that we need, isn't it? Uh, there are a lot of, again, as we have all over the shop, there's a lot of young players. And I think that sort of picking up uh, Williams just before camp, who obviously played pretty consistently, uh, pretty consistently for the Lions last year is, is, a, is a good move. Uh, and Ellis, if you know, if he can carry, if he can prove the promise that he showed early on in his career, it, we've got good depth rotational pieces there that should shore that line up. And I think even DJ Davidson's been taking some snaps with the ones on occasion as well. So we've got a pretty meaty front there. Okay, so moving on to defensive ends now. Obviously, last year with uh, rookie Aziz Ojolari setting the setting the team on fire with a franchise rookie record of eight sacks. Obviously, he had a great year. And this year, we've added another piece, Kayvon Thibodeau. I mean, we've we've said all really there is to say about that guy. But how much are you looking forward to those two guys coming off the edge? Oh, massively. I mean, to get someone who I would have taken in the first round last year, in the second round, and for him to produce, all right, not jaw-dropping, uh, you know, not like jaw-dropping stats or like, you know, blowing people away, but to show... To show the progression and show the um, the the play and to show that he can be a really really high end number two pass rusher on a team, I'm over the moon. And then for us to to, to manage to get Kayvon Thibodeau, and we've talked about it lead up to the draft, we've talked about it since the draft. You know, he's the alpha, and he's kind of shown that in the in the preseason. Like he's he's the alpha pass rusher. He gets in the backfield. I, I do believe we've got a serious one two punch at, at our pass rush now, and. Um, for the Giants, you know, a lot of the teams of the past, the Super Bowl winning teams, was built on having a really good pass rush. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't felt this excited about our about our two defensive ends since the likes of Tuck and Yuminura were on the defensive line. You know. Yeah, I don't think we've really had anyone really put anything up like Aziz did last year since JPP, and now to have two JPPs essentially on the team is is absolutely wrecking. We are going to get to the quarterback and we were notoriously bad at that last year, part outside of Ojolari. So it's going to be really, really interesting to watch and see when you pair that with the rest of Wink's defence, how much chaos we're going to cause, whether potentially we could sneak into the, that kind of top 10 level. Yeah, man. I mean, the fact that Wink's defence is, is aggressive in the first place, then add in the best pass rusher in this year's draft, then add in Aziz Ojolari. It's just screaming out to you. It's just screaming out, sack, 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 sack. These guys are going to have a field day this year, I think. You know, I said, I've not felt this you know, this excited about our two defensive ends. Um, like I said, since we had, you know, the likes of Justin Tuck, JPP, OCU and you know, since sort of 2013, 2014. And I'm looking forward to it so much. And not to state the obvious either. Um, they need to stay healthy, of course. Ojolari only fell to second round last year because they were worried about uh, a, a knee injury he had in, in, in his last year of high school. And that it, I didn't see any problems with his knees last year. But also, like again, to see something obvious, they're so young. Like One's a rookie and one's only in his second year. I mean, if they play to the potential and gradually get a good and better and better and better, like we hope they will, it's so exciting, not just for this season, but for, for, for going forward. 
Mate, imagine having these two locked down for the next sort of five, ten years. Yeah, it's exciting. And it's and said add add it, add add wing into that mix as well, and it's just like I'm looking forward to our defense being on the field this year, which is a weird thing to say. But yeah, looking forward to the defense being on the field this year because I reckon these guys they're not just going to wreak havoc with the uh, opposing team's offensive line and quarterback. I think they're going to score points too. And like I know you're going to get onto it in a second, Dan, but like from camp. And that's all we can go on at the moment, isn't it, really, from camp and a little bit of, of, of what we saw in previous seasons. But, but we actually look to have a bit of depth at the edge rusher position. I mean, with the likes of Quincy Roche, Ellison Smith, even Ocean Zimenez has, has had popping plays and highlight plays in, um, in, in, in camp and stuff. Uh, I mean, Quincy Roche, I couldn't believe the Steelers like, tried to weave him and get him on the practice squad. I mean, all day long, we were so, it was an absolute genius stroke to snap him up. Because I think he, he showed at the tail end of last season that he's got real um, attributes to get after the pa- uh, passer as well. Yeah, I liked, uh, I liked Roche last season. I thought he was, that, he was very much a understated member of our, our defence. I think he had a solid year. Uh, and again, um, you know, we've got some, like you said, we've got some great depth at the end. And I think he's a, a big piece of that rotation. Ellison Smith. I'm looking forward to seeing what he can do as well. Um, obviously, we brought him in as a rookie last year and didn't really see a great deal of him. But I'm, you know, second year. Hopefully, he doesn't have a sophomore slump. Hopefully, he's actually uh, has a has a decent second year and and pushes on and makes it, you know, makes a name for himself. Yeah, definitely. I mean, with Ellison Smith, he he came in. He started off as a tight end when he started. When he started playing in college. He he didn't have an NFL body last year. He was getting manhandled in the wrong game. But as a pure pass rusher, he's definitely got a skill set that gets you excited. He just needs a year or two to grow into an NFL body. Um, and apparently, from what we've been hearing, he's been showing signs uh, you know, that he has developed a bit. I mean, I do like the sign of Jihad Ward. Ward. All right, he's, he's, he's one that was played in the Winks defense for the Ravens. You know, the familiarities there. Um, but also, from the interviews I've read, uh, from the interviews I've seen of him, and people talking about him, He's he's actually seems like he's a really good locker room guy, like you know he's take, he's he's I believe he's taken like Thibodeau under his wing just to show him you know how to act and how to carry yourself and you know things you should and shouldn't do. How to be a professional? Exactly it, yeah, exactly. How to be a professional in the league? I mean, Kevin Thibodeau, as we all know, has his head switched on with stuff like that anyway. But I just think like you know, Jade Ward brings a, a like not a seriousness, but. You know, just a professionalism, like you said, Dan. Um, so I think he's a good, good addition to the team. Although, you know, you won't see many snaps as such as um, as a starter, but I definitely think he's a good addition. It's interesting to note that it's kind of been a bit of a role reversal with Quincy Roche and with Jimenez this uh, season in the fact that Roche seems to be buried a little bit further down on the depth chart, playing mostly with the twos, even with the threes. Whereas Jimenez has, has been pushed up and has taken snaps with the ones since... Uh, Ojolari has has been sidelined still uh, with with his um, his injury, and Jimenez was he fell out of favour with our previous two coaching staff, and he has been pulled up a few times by Dable. He almost hit Jones the other day, which, as we know, is a big no no in this time in camp, and uh, he's also contributed to a couple of false starts. So, but Dable obviously sees something in him that the other coaching staff didn't. So it'll be interesting to see uh, see where he goes. But one very out of context thing on Jihad Ward is um, he is probably given the most meme worthy picture of training camp so far of him doing um, a headstand. Yeah, I did see that. I was like, what is this guy up to? But you kind of need that kind of jokiness and that kind of bit of banter in the in the locker room as well. And you're right, he he is viewed as that kind of veteran. In, in that in that core group, I think one thing I've noticed about the, this whole training camp with the Dibs, you know, is um is that time and place, right? It's a bit more relaxed, but it's not all jokes and and and, and carry on and stuff like that. There is time for seriousness as well, and I think like if you can get that mix right, I think it's a great recipe for success. Yeah, man. I mean, do you think like again we're talking about how young. Uh, Ojolari and Thibodeau are, but you think of you know look at looking at those names there. Look at how young all of them are. I mean, Simonez is what twenty five. Um, Jalen Holmes, 
is 26. Jihad Ward, obviously, like you said, he's a veteran, but you know he's only 28. So they're all they're all vet, but he's still he's only 28. You know, they're 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 a young bunch of guys, Um, and so it's quite and obviously with the other two rookies we've got as well, is it Tomon Fox and Ryder Anderson, the two undrafted guys. You know, even including the 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 tackles as well. There's a young defensive front that we've got there. Yeah, definitely. Just to touch on something Craig said as well um, about Zimenez, like how good is it for him that it's a, a fresh start? New new coaches all across the board, head coach, defensive coordinator, position coaches. Like he's got a fresh start all across the board. Whereas you know, yes, the previous um, two previous regimes drafted you, you got lost in the in the pack a little bit, and you seemed out of favour with Joe Judge. But now it's like literally got a fresh start, and like you said, he's actually seen getting he's seen himself getting snaps with the ones. Yeah, no, I'm I'm really happy for him. Like, I think he's got a lot to offer. You know, the fact he fell out with Pat Shermer and James Betcher, and then he fell out of you know, favour with uh, Joe Judge and Patrick Graham. It's it's his time to shine. You know, third head coach, third defensive coordinator. Show him what you can do and prove yourself to him, and. You know, so far throughout camp, he's he's looking like he's having a good camp. So let's let's hope that he, he carries that on. Um, Tomon Fox and Ryder Anderson, Kev, tell us about those two because obviously two undrafted guys. Yeah, I mean, I didn't know too much about Ryder Anderson to be fair. Tomon Fox, he had just a solid, solid defensive end in uh, the University of North Carolina, and as you all know, we took two North Carolina offensive linemen this year. So you know, obviously. Watching them at practice, you would have seen um, Tone Fox. He um, he's, he's an older he's an older rookie. I mean, I think he took six years to college. You know, he done like done the whole red shirting, um, and then obviously took the COVID year as well. So he's you know it took a while to sort of like develop into to, to a productive player. But he was very productive in, in college. I mean, what do you have eight point five sacks? Was it? But yeah, I mean, again. At the moment, we haven't heard too much about them. I think it was always going to be a long shot for these type of guys to make the roster. But with the expand, like you said earlier on, down with the expanded practice squad, that's basically part of the roster now. Really, is the sixteen players in the practice squad now? You could, you know, that I look at that as being on an NFL team, to be honest. Because look how often people are are brought into the into the fifty three and back again and and stuff like that. So, like, if he can hold on to a to a spot on the practice squad, you know, fair play. Yeah, Ryder Anderson. Don't don't know much about him apart from the fact he came from. Indiana, and throughout his career, Indiana, two and a half sacks, seven and a half tackles for loss, 47 tackles. And he's one of two tryout players signed by the Giants after rookie minicamp. So he's obviously done enough to prove himself so far, but I think he's probably, he's 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 going to be a cut candidate, I think. You know, these type of players, like, they're doing well, like, the roster churning carries on constantly. You've seen yourself, like, players have been released, all the players have come in. You know, to the guys to still be on the squad at the moment, um, contributing, like, you have to say fair play. Definitely, definitely, definitely. Uh, moving on to linebackers then. So we welcome back Blake Martinez from his ACL injury um, as we look to him to be one of the big difference makers on D in 2022. There's an argument to, you know, that he's potentially our best defensive player. Obviously, he had the, the ACL tear last year, um, but his... His floor is very high, assuming that ACL tears, no lingering effects. How much are you looking forward to seeing him back in that that Mike linebacker position? Yeah, brilliant. I think he's um, he's one of my favorite, uh, not my absolute favorite, one one of my favorite signings over the last sort of five ten years. Um, I just think if he can stay healthy, he's just so solid, and he's just exactly what you need at that middle linebacker position. All right, he might not be the fastest, but he's so instinctual. Like he just racks up tackle after tackle after tackle and he, he does he's very good at getting into the backfield as well like he's a good blitzing linebacker he may not be the best at um, in coverage but I think he's competent enough in coverage but I think he's just such a good leader like and he's someone that the defence can actually get behind and follow I just look at his stat line from 2020 so 16 games started 151 total tackles 86 solo 65 assisted tackles Three sacks, two forced fumbles, one fumble recovery, one interception. That's what you need from a middle linebacker, is that consistency and that. And he's going to be your top tackler. And the fact that you know he's made eighty-six solo tackles, and that's 
that was his lowest amount for four years. Is you know the previous year in 2019 at Green Bay he made 97 solo tackles. Is it phenomenal? Isn't it it's ridiculous? And that's the thing. Like if you if you stick a rangy, fast sort of like coverage linebacker next to him, like what a great pair that is. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've we've already dis- we've already discussed he's an absolute tackling machine. I mean, even with the stats that Dan brought up, he was still the ninth highest in the tackle leaders in 2020 as well. So there weren't many above him, and he he just does a job, doesn't he? We you know that he's a solid piece behind that defensive front. That if anything gets through, especially in the run game, that he's going to have that wrapped up, and we're more than likely going to stop that play pretty quickly. Yeah, and he, he was such a huge miss last year. You know, he went to game was a game two. He went down with his injury. Game two, game three, something like that. It was very early. Yeah, it was way too early, and obviously then. You know, our defensive leader, our defensive captain goes down with a season in injury and then you look to the rest to sort of pick up the pieces. And I think, you know, looking further down the list, Tay Crowder, he had a relatively solid season, I thought, in the fact that Martinez wasn't there, so he had to sort of step up and be that, you know, that that middle linebacker that we needed. And I think he did a good job. I do think he did a good job. And, like, he's overplayed he's played better than his draft selection of uh mr irrelevant the last pick of the draft like what, 250 something and um but i still think i still think i he's been he's been okay i i do think you know he's by no he's, he might be taking starter reps at the moment but i think you know um that position next to martinez is open it's up for grabs and I think we drafted two uh, good rookies. We've got players on the on the roster who want to make a, a name for themselves. I think that second inside li- uh, linebacker position next to Martin is I think it's wide open. And I, I say let, let, let's go. Let's have a proper camp competition. And let the best man win. Yeah, absolutely. I, I I know that Darren Darren Beavers has been making some waves. He's quite highly respected amongst the coaches uh, and the beat writers have been saying how well he's been doing. Does sound like Carter Coughlin though could end up being a cut candidate this year. I know that he's been around for a couple of years um, and played quite a lot as a rookie, but his uh, his trajectory seems to be going down at the moment. Yeah, which is a shame because he he had a lot of talent and a lot of potential when he came into the team. I think you know was it you played thirty nine defensive snaps last year, ended up on IR, and it's it, it was a shame to see sort of his season come to an abrupt end like that. But previous to that, before that, he was playing, you know, relatively, you know, quite a high amount of snaps. Um, but he doesn't have, a, you know, he's not, he's not got that easy path to the roster spot. And like you said, I think he's, uh, he's on the cusp, he's on the fence of making it or not making it. And I think if he doesn't make it, I reckon he'll be picked up, you know, snapped up by another team if we don't put him on our practice squad. But I think he's possibly maybe too good to put on our practice squad. He's on that bubble, isn't he? He's kind of like, he'll be one of those players that'll be like, you wouldn't be surprised if he was cut and you wouldn't be surprised if he made the 53. Go either way with Karnikov. And I like him as a player, but like you said, I think I think we might have drafted over him in this draft. I mean, to be able to pick up someone like McFadden and Beavers, well, to get Beavers in the sixth round was an absolute steal. I, I, I read Beavers very highly. Because um, not only not only is he a tall, rangy um uh, middle linebacker. He also he also can play on the edge, so he can drop down to the line of scrimmage and and, and rush off the edge as well. Um, but don't sleep on Micah McFadden. Um, but of all the players that were drafted, he's one that kind of like stood out the most as being like a wink Martin Deal type of player. Like who fits his scheme. He's a he's a very very good blitzing linebacker. Um, he might be on the short side for your prototypical middle linebacker, but he's fast, he's quick, he's rangy. Um, he can get through the sort through the traffic to get tackles for loss and get sacks. Um, so I, I would be surprised if it was a mix of, between Beavers and McFadden for, uh, for for being like co-starters, for want of a better term. Yeah, I like I like both the rookies. I think they could both make an impact, and I think both of them can make more of an impact than Carter Coughlin could. Which you know it says a lot about them. Like I said, Michael McFadden, the fact that picked him up in the fifth round, um, you know, does he have a, does he have what it takes to make a difference in his rookie year? I think he does, and Beavers as well. I think the fact that we got him in the sixth round, like you said, it was it was a steal in the sixth round. I, I think he can have an impact as well. And I think Tay, you know, like you said, I think Tay Crowder's got his work cut out 
to be that number two back beside Blake Martinez. I think it's going to be great to see a competition between those three, Crowder, McFadden and Beavers. And I think then obviously looking down further down the list, you've got Cam Brown. He's been great on special teams, but he's not really done much else on he's not really done much on defence. Um and then Austin was it Austin Calitro? Um he came in from the Bengals, didn't he? C B Camp Body. Yeah. So, uh, all, all, all I know all I know about him is he's gonna be a cut candidate. Ninety four tackles, one and a half sacks. I can't see anything else but him being a camp body. But I'm looking forward to the competition between those three, Crowder, McFadden and Beavers. So just here, just a quick question, number of questions, lads. So, so do you think like linebacker group is, it contribute a lot to special teams? It's actually kind of the core of special teams that you find linebackers. But do you think you should, on your 53-man roster, go for the best players at the best positions, so the best players for their positions, and then make up your special teams from what you've got then? Or do you earmark a few back at the end of the roster positions specifically for special teams, knowing that they won't really contribute much on the field at their designated position? It's a tough one, isn't it? Because it's it's a catch-22 because you, you ideally want to take the best players available because if anything was to happen, it's you know next man up, isn't it? It's the, the name of the business is next man up. But at the end of the day, if you do have people who understand special teams, and especially when it comes to these sort of players that are lower down in the rankings, they're going to be the ones who are taking the special teams steps in camp. So they're going to have that consistency and they're going to have that kind of familiarity with the special teams schemes that are going to be drawn up. So it's a tough one, isn't it? You almost need half and half. Like you almost need some of those really good players, but also some of those ones who are, who are good on special teams. You, you kind of want the players to win both jobs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because you look you look back at last year and we had was it I can never remember his name, the guy that we had on the roster that was like a special teams like specialist. Uh Ebner. Yeah, Nate Ebner. He was brought in purely for special teams. And he was shit. And he had to play he had to play snaps in game and was found out. Yeah. And yeah, I, I just think I think personally, bring in the best fifty three players you've got and create your special teams around them. I lean towards that way, Dan, as well. You're bound to have some guys in the, on that roster that know what they're doing on special teams. And not just that, but you obviously you've got so much time in practice and in camp for you know the, the coordinators to spend time with these guys working on special teams. And because they're good quality players, surely they would pick up special teams quicker than... You know, some not as good quality players would, if you get me. Yeah, we understand you. Yeah, I just think just just name your fifty three best players on that roster and then make your special teams out of that. I agree. I mean, you can't really go. The the only downside would be having some of your best players on special teams running the risk of injury, because the the last last thing you want to do is is to you know have your number two linebacker injured on special teams on a punt return, or have you know, have have some one of your best receivers injured on special teams, tr- like returning a kickoff. So it's 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 difficult, but yeah, I think go with it, go that way rather than bringing these guys that are special team specialists and they don't they're not they're going to be sort of fourth or fifth on the depth chart when it comes to their actual position. But that's just me. So that's the first part of our defensive breakdown complete. Next time we'll finish off with our DBs and also talking about special teams as well so make sure you tune in for that next time uh, now it's time to announce which D linemen and linebackers have made the big blue UK and Ireland team of the 21st century uh, now defensive tackles have been almost like a revolving door over the years uh, with names such as Chris Canty, Linval Joseph, Jonathan Hankins, Cullen Jenkins, Dalvin Tomlinson, Snacks Harrison all putting their names and putting their hands in the dirt for us uh, but two names really stood out on this list um, over the last 20 years. The first one being Barry Cofield. Uh, now, he played for the team um, for five seasons from 2006 to 2010, and then again in 2015, and he won Super Bowl 42 with the team. He was drafted by the Giants as the 124th pick in 2006, and as a rookie, he started all 16 regular season games 
and the NFC wildcard game at nose tackle. And he led the defensive line with 67 tackles. You know, he became famous for his dance, his taser dance, which we did perform after sacking the opposing quarterback. And I think he was just a absolute solid guy in the middle of that defensive line, that defensive tackle position that you need. Um, and he was, like I say, he was, a, he was a big, big part of that um, 2007 Super Bowl winning team. So Barry Kofield, I think, fully deserves his position on our team in the 21st century. What do you guys think? Yeah, I mean, um, again, Barry Kofield is one of those players that was played the unsexy position that we were talking earlier on. He was just so good at what he did. And true football fans who, you know, could appreciate it knew how valuable he was to those teams. Yeah, man. And I think when he left the team um, after the 2010 season, and didn't he go to um, Washington, didn't he? Yeah, he went to the he went to who were at the time the Redskins, and that was a real blow to the team. And I think when we when he left there for the start of the 2011 season, you know, a guy that had been with a team for five years in the first five years of his career, and then goes off to a divisional rival, um, and he was that sort of, you know, Mister Consistent on the defensive line. I think he was a big loss. Um, but yeah, Barry Cofield definitely deserves his place on the roster. And then secondly, we've got uh, a guy who, not unless you've been a fan for over 20 years, you probably wouldn't have heard of him. Um, but he's a guy who spent his entire 12-year career with the Giants and recorded 63 tackles, placed him fourth on the team's career sack list. Um, Keith the Hammer Hamilton, and played in 173 games in a Giants uniform, tying him with Harry Carson for sixth on the franchise all-time list. He was named as a Pro Bowl turner in 2000 when he recorded 10 sacks and reached the Super Bowl th- reached Super Bowl 35. Um, for those that haven't seen much of him, I fully recommend going watching going back and watching some games where he's playing because um, again he was that sort of big body right in the middle of the line that would stuff the run and and put pressure on the quarterback. So yeah, Keith the ha- Keith the Hammer Hamilton um, also deserves his place on our all-time roster. Uh, team of the 21st century roster, sorry. Um, what do you guys think of Hamilton on there? Yeah, um, to be honest, I don't know too much about Hamilton. I just heard the name and familiar that he was a good player for the Giants. Um, but I'm gonna, yeah, I'm going to go back and, and watch some of the some of the film on him. Actually, do you know what? Um, not to beat on the spot, that, but do you know what number he wore? What number he wore? Yeah, uh, seventy-five. Cool. It's just yeah, because I definitely want to go back and watch some of the stuff, and uh, so I know what number to look out for. Yeah, just I remember the like I said the the first ever Giants game I watched was Super Bowl thirty-five. He was in that team, and yeah, we lost the game. I think it was thirty-five to seven, but. It, it you know the fact that he spent the twelve years with the team, his whole career with the team, he he was giants through and through, and I think you know he fully deserves his place on that team. Uh, defensive end, and really there was one absolute shoe in, no question about it. That man's Michael Strahan. Played with the team for fifteen years, with fifteen years, fourteen years, fifteen years, something like that. 15 years, there you go. <laughs> Thanks for that, producer Craig. Uh, 15 years. Um, voted to the Hall of Fame in 2014. Uh, finally won a Super Bowl with his last game as a New York Giant in 2007. And, you know, fairy tale ending for him. Rode off into the sunset. Uh, NFL Defensive Player of the Year in 2001. 14, four times first team All Pro. Twice second team All Pro. Seven, seven time Pro Bowler. Twice the NFL Sack Leader. Um, got the NFL record tied with TJ Watt at 22 and a half sacks of the season. He's in the Giants ring of honour. I mean, I don't really need to say anything else about him apart from the fact he was just unbelievable. Unbelievable. And I'm so lucky to have seen him play and so grateful to have seen him play and, and be that absolute force on the defensive line. And, you know, the fact that what fifteen years later, we still we still talk about him sometimes, and he's he was just a, an immovable object on that D line, and there's a reason I've still got his jersey and I still wear it with pride is because he was unreal. I mean, not much more to add. I mean, that's just a mic drop. There, it's just like one of the greatest of all time. He's just uh, and and he was a character as well. I mean, he, he brought a little bit of not 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 flashiness, but you know, confidence. He knew how good he was, like and um. He brought that to the Giants teams, and yeah, I mean, he's on here for easily one of the first names on the team sheet. 
Yeah, and the fact that you know the last few years he was with the team, but I don't need to turn up to camp. It's fine. <laughs> you know, why why do I need to go to camp? I'm just going to have some time off. So I actually went back and watched America's game that we were talking about last week. Uh, watched both of them back to back. Really, really enjoyed it. And the Michael Strahan stomp you out was just iconic. Like that is just something else. The the, the hype. I got hyped just watching it. So I, I cannot imagine what it was like to be inside that huddle before each of those playoff games and obviously the Super Bowl game as well. Just incredible. Just what a man. You know, if if you if you haven't seen Michael Strahan in his prime, I fully suggest going back and watching some some games where he played. But watch that. Um, watch Super Bowl Forty Two. Watch him put pressure on Tom Brady, and you'll see what he is about. Um, now. Moving on to the second one. Second defence zone was a bit tougher to decide. Um, Honourable mention goes to Jason Pierre-Paul just because of you know, how good a defensive end he was until he blew his hand up. <laughs> um, but no, he, he deserves an honourable mention because he was, a, he was, again, he's a big force, a big name on our defensive line at the time. Um, and he, he was unbelievably disruptive. The two... That it's very difficult to choose between. I'm sure you probably know Osa Yuminor and Justin Tuck. Now, you look at their honours throughout their careers, both two-time Super Bowl champion, both vote to a first-team All-Pro once in their career, both vote with second-team All-Pro once in their career, both vote to two, two Pro Bowls, both in the Giants' ring of honour. You know, so they're both very, very close. But for me, Yuminor just nicks it. Do my boy talk dirty. The only reason, the only reason OC nicks it, is because he's born in Wembley. Not just that, but he's 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 still tight. He's still got an NFL record to his name, uh, with most forced fumbles in the season, uh, ch- tied with Charles Tillman and Robert Mathis with ten. Don't get me wrong, I absolutely love Justin Tuck. Again, I wear his jersey with pride, still to this day. Um, and I was absolutely gutted when he left the team, um, but I think for OC. You know, we've got we've got to have OC in there. At the end of the day, he's British. You know, lived lived in London for the first part of his life. You know, flying the flying the British flag, flying the UK flag. I think that we've got to have OC in there. Um, but Justin Tuck just as amazing as OC was, and he he literally just nicks it by the skin of his teeth. No, I mean uh, you can't pick between them. Like you literally could have tossed a coin and had either one in. To be honest, um, I mean you could go NASCAR package and play both. I mean, we as as we did back in the day, we absolutely could. No, I think um, it, well, it just shows how well we've done in, in 07 to have those three pass rushers rotating, and it shows like how how much you kind of need that depth as well. Um, but like I said, both both players absolutely class. It was just weird. How weird was it at the end of the career though, seeing one in a Raiders jersey and one in a Falcons jersey? Oh, mate, I hated it. <laughs> this wasn't right, was it? No. The day the day OC left to go to Atlanta and the day Justin Tuck left to go to um Oakland, I was gutted. Both of those days I was absolutely gutted to see both of them leave. Um It was it was one of those I just sort of just didn't want to believe it was true, you know. <laughs> the nature of the business now though, isn't it? Yeah, hundred percent. Like you were saying about Hamilton playing all twelve years for the Giants and and uh Strahan playing all fifteen for the like those 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 are far few and far between now. Exactly, exactly. They really are. I mean, yeah. You, again, you look back at that 2007 defensive line. You look back at Strahan, Cofield, Human Yura, Justin Tuck, even Chuck Fred Robbins in there as well. It was just. I mean, I don't need to say anymore. That that defensive line that had an unbelievable part in our, us winning that that Super Bowl that year, um, and just some amazing amazing names there. Um, Linebackers then, uh, with honourable mention, I think going to Mike Bowley because I think he uh, he had a few good seasons for the team, and I think he's uh, he, he sort of was a uh, sort of went unnoticed. Just went about his job the right way, under the radar. Yeah, did his job. Yeah, man, and he was he was a consistent um, force in in the in the middle of our defence. The three names we've gone for are names that each and every Giants fan will know, um, or at least should know anyway. Jesse Armstead, I mean, was again the fact he was just just played into the twenty first century, uh, retiring in two thousand and one. 
Um, but he, you know, the fact is he he played two years with the Giants in the 21st century in 2000, 2001. First team All Pro, twice voted to second team All Pro, five times Pro Bowler. He's on the Giants Ring of Honor. He played nine seasons for the Giants, helping us reach the Super Bowl in 2000. Again, an absolute beast on defense, and I think he um, he fully deserves his place on there. Yeah, absolutely, no brainer. Um, it's one of those names like you become a you become a Giants fan in the mid to late two thousands, like we kind of did. Maybe a bit later, you you know the name Jesse Armstead. You know, you don't have to be a a, 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 a history buff or, or anything like that to, to to know that you know what type of impact he had for for the Giants. Yeah, man. And I, I mean, I, I said he retired a giant. He didn't retire a giant. He retired after playing with the uh, Washington Redskins, who were the, around at the time. Um, but the fact that, you know, had five consecutive seasons with more than 100 tackles, that says it all about the guy. You know, again, he was that sort of, that linebacker that would just wrap things up and just do his job. And yeah, he's a, he's a, he's a Giants legend and he's rightly in the ring of honour. Now for the other two, uh, a bit more recent, I say a bit more recent. Antonio Pierce um, was uh, was only with the team for five years, but again was a, a part of the team that won the Super Bowl in in two thousand seven at Super Bowl forty two. He was our defensive captain, and he led the ta- Giants in tackles three times. His his play alone made me take note of a linebacker and what a linebackers do. You know, in that sort of first couple of years as a Giants fan just learning the game Antonio Pierce epitomised what a linebacker was his temperament wasn't great but his play on the field was unbelievable was second to none and I think he was one of the real sort of leaders and inspirations of the, of the team um, and he fully deserves his place on this on this roster I mean it's hard to think that he was only with us for five seasons you know but like what are five seasons they were he well, he was he started off at Washington, didn't he? And then he came to us in two thousand and five. Um, but the fact he you know he retired a giant at the end of two thousand and nine, and he was just Mister Consistent throughout that time. And the only time he ever missed games is because of injury. And again, he was that consistent linebacker in the middle of that, you know leader in the middle of that linebacker core that you needed that we needed and. Helped us to beat Tom Brady in the uh, eighteen and O Patriots in two thousand and seven. Yeah, I mean, if you were to make up a linebacker, like he, he's the type of linebacker you'd want to, to sort of like mould and, and stick in the middle of your defense. Um, am I right in thinking that he didn't have a losing season in the five seasons he was with the Giants? Correct. Yeah. So I mean, there's not many Giants recently you can say that. <laughs> I don't think any Giants can say that recently. Yeah, and again, that just that says it all really that he he didn't have a losing season with the team. Um, you know, it's what more can we say about him? Um, yeah, he's the type of linebacker that gets you pumped. Yeah, absolutely. Again, he was he was that one of those guys that would would hype you up and would get you pumped and would get you going along with Michael Strahan. Mate, that two thousand and seven defense was amazing, wasn't it? Unbelievable. Um, um, and last but not least, um, Kiwi Matthias Kiwanuka. Um, again, two times Super Bowl champion. And just an absolute force in in that linebacking core. Um, again, was consistent, did his job. You know, I think four, one, two, three, four, five, six out of his eight seasons with the team, he played in all sixteen games. Um, the only t- again missed most of two thousand and ten because of injury, but the rest of the seasons he played all sixteen games, and it's just. I mean, he sort of switched between linebacker, D-end, linebacker, D-end, but, you know, he was drafted by, as a D-end, but was moved across to linebacker in 2007 in his sort of sophomore year. But again, he could he could, he could could switch between the two. And finishing off his career with 38 and a half sacks, you know, it shows that he, he, he had a huge influence on the team in that period, sort of late 2000s, early 2010s. Um, and again, was, a, was a, a big player for us. Yeah, he was pretty there. Like he, he goes under the radar a little bit as well. I think maybe his versatility was downfall in the sense that you know he wasn't able to rack up the big numbers or, or make the big plays. Um, he played a lot at the end all through his career. Played a lot at linebacker. Um, 
again, one of those players who uh, just consistent, just came in, did his job, uh, worked hard. Uh, yeah, I, I read him very highly. And like I said, he's probably a, maybe a player that people don't appreciate as much as they should. No, definitely. And I think once when he left the team, I think we uh, the, the hole he left was evident. And, you know, he sort of, towards sort of the end of his career, again, he's, he was still producing, you know, week by week. And I think he was he was just again that sort of gone under went under the radar, and he was just Mr. Consistent. That sort of time period, sort of the late two thousands, early twenty tens, was when, you know, we've had a lot had a lot of success, and he was a big part of that. Deserves a spot in the team. Definitely, definitely does. So they have it. So that's our defensive line and linebacker core of the twenty uh, first century team. Um, next time we'll. Uh, let you know who's uh, in our defensive backfield and on our special teams. Now, we did have a mailbag question from um, Ash Platt last week, Kev, that we asked Shane, um, and we said we'd carry it over this week to ask you, because uh, it's about a college game. So the question was, uh, what do you use to track players and rosters during the season? I used to, uh, a few years ago, play a lot of uh, the uh, NCAA college football game. So I would, uh, I would sort of like so like download the latest rosters from the men in the know type thing and sort of play with the, the big teams and see who's the 85 and overs and stuff like that. And sort of like just sort of keep my eyes on them throughout the season. Um, but uh, I think um, now it's um, it hasn't been advertised yet. Uh, so I'm waiting for an announcement. But BT Sport basically show so much college football. They show games on a Thursday night, Friday night, and their Saturday schedule is so jam-packed. You start off at two o'clock with college game day. And that goes off for three hours. And they cover all the games, the spreads, uh, impact players, you know, giving previews to all the big games that day. Um, and then obviously you've got the game, a couple of games at five o'clock, a couple of games at eight o'clock, a couple of games at midnight. And obviously then you pack 12 games at three o'clock. Now, I wouldn't watch all them, but I would definitely pick out the uh, the sort of headlining games uh, that week. I mean, as I mentioned before, Notre Dame has a has their own TV deal with with NBC and NBC and Peacock have a deal with Sky now for the last couple of years. So every Notre Dame home game is on Saturday is on um, Sky Sports. Uh, so that's brilliant for us over here wanting to watch the, the, the Fighting Irish. It depends if you only watch a lot of games or you want team specific. I mean, ESPN Player is very good. That would have I'd say seventy percent of the games uh, um, on on a Saturday. But yeah, I mean, I follow different podcasts as well, like the Saul's Verbal podcast. Um, it's very good. The uh, College Football Bros is very good. Keeping up to date with like um, storylines and stuff. Um, but also uh, with the BT Sport, they have a, they show the nightly uh, College Live, which is on every night, thirty minutes show every night, Monday to Friday type thing. So I always said that to record and watch that. Another few minutes during the day. Lots of different things. I mean, our lads is very good website for depth charts. Not just college, but also um, NFL depth charts as well. If you want to keep an eye on like who's starting and what positions and stuff, and yeah, so I mean, there's lots of things out there. But uh, definitely, if, if you have a BT Sport, um, you and you don't and you want to watch any like a lot of different games, it's a great way to sort of like just keep up to date with uh, what's going on. And also, I should say, like I mentioned before, on BT Sport as well, like um, every Sunday night they have college final, college day final, which basically is like a highlight show. Like match of the day type thing for um, for the college games where they show a few clips of the big plays from each college each of the big college games on Sunday night. So um, I watch that religiously every week as well. So yeah, there's a lot out there. There you go, Ash. I hope I answer your question. I uh, hope you get the best of both worlds from both what Shane and Kev have told you. So yeah, thanks for sending your question, in, buddy. Um, before we go, don't forget to order your copy of the full 10 yards season guide as this is a one-time print run. We can't wait for you to all read our thoughts on how the season will plan out for the Giants as well as our predictions, player spotlight and positional thoughts. And also remember, you can get 10% off that guide using our, using our code BIGBLUE10. Um, head to the website, put the link up on our Twitter page and use the code BIGBLUE10 to get 10% off our full 10 yards season guide. We've given you our front seven on defence in our team in the 21st century. Let us know what you think. Would you put anyone different in there? Get in touch with us in the usual ways on Twitter at Big Blue UK IRL, on Facebook on the New York Giants Fans UK page, and via email as well, Big Blue UK IRL at gmail.com.
gmail.com. Uh, that is all we've got time for this time around. But before we go, just a reminder, give us a follow on Twitter if you don't already. And give us a rating and review on the podcast platform of your choice. Five stars would not go amiss and we really would appreciate it uh, anything to add before we go guys uh, no just like i said good to be back i think things are ramping up now we're seeing full padded practices pre-season starts this thursday uh, we'll be on next week to review what we see and it's just full go from here now yeah absolutely it's uh, definitely starting to ramp up and i think we're all excited to get a little bit of giants football in our life and look forward to breaking it down next week uh, also, don't forget that every Sunday I'm dropping an article on the Full 10 Yards website, which is breaking down five things from the week. And this time it will be five things from that preseason game. So let me know what you think of it on Twitter. Yeah, I'm loving your work on the Full 10 Yards, Craig. Uh, You've put some good pieces on there so far, so I'm looking forward to seeing you uh your pieces on there throughout the season we'll be back next time to finish off our roster breakdown as our dbs and special teams come under scrutiny um, and like we said we are three days away from giants football so uh we'll uh we'll let you go we'll be going through what uh what happened in the first preseason game of the year and plus hopefully we'll open up the mailbag again as we edge ever closer to our trip to nashville to take on the titans in week one of the regular season it's not far away, lads. Uh, my thanks as ever go to Craig and to Kev for joining me and to you, the listeners, for tuning in. We're signing off till next time. Go Giants!